Lord, help me in my voice this morning, my chest, but more than that, help us each one to enter into the spiritual challenge of these words. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Um, so I think this is number five. I don't know whether you're keeping count. Number five, the last time I spoke, uh, the response was mixed, to put it mildly. Besides the severe telling off by my wife, I had mixed responses. Do you remember last time we did um, ask questions? We did, how did, it, how did this, this become in flesh? How did it happen? We did the virgin birth. And uh, we did things in that which probably stretched us. Things like biological difficulties and theological difficulties and scriptural difficulties. Do you remember that? Do you remember I said, when did it occur? We did the whole matter of, did we have any idea when the Lord came? And then we did, do you remember we did about where did it occur? And was there any significance between, about Nazareth? And I spoke about that and the significance of it. <clears throat> and I spoke about what are the implications of it. And there was miles too much. And a lot of people did struggle. I'm aware of that. And I apologise for that. But we had some good conversations afterwards. We had some good conversations <laughs> But now we move on, and I want to kind of deal with, well, what's the point of it to us today, really? And I'm going, I've chosen a verse which you had Martin dealt with. Well, he dealt with it very quickly. We weren't here at Bedford, but a couple of weeks ago, Martin dealt with this whole passage, and he went through this quick review from <coughs> Timothy 3. <coughs> but I want to deal with this verse. Verse 3, verse 16 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. But before I start, folks, the Bible is so relevant. It's so relevant. You've got troubles as a church. This letter was written to a church with severe troubles. Timothy, Paul's right-hand man, shall we say, had been sent there to help deal with these troubles. Some of these troubles were, as you know, people were saying, oh, you can't do that, and you can't do that, you mustn't eat that, you can't get married. <coughs> Powerful. Some other people were saying, well, you know, the resurrection didn't really occur. That's brought out in 2 Timothy. Some other people, oh, you've got to have the right uh, um, background and genealogies. You've got to know all about the genealogies, all about the Old Testament. And that's the key thing, Jewish kind of things that were coming in. And that had to be dealt with. In fact, right at the end of the book, <coughs> the last verse, it talks about people who've got special knowledge. Have you met these people with special knowledge? It talks about knowledge so-called. Some people were saying, oh, you need this special knowledge to get to God, to experience God, to walk with God. You need this special knowledge. I've got this special knowledge. Now, the posh name for this, perhaps you've come across it, is called Gnosticism. Have you heard of that? Young people heard of Gnosticism? Do you know, today, the whole New Age movement, which if you go into Smith's, the bookshops, and you look at the self, it's full of Gnosticism. 
People with special knowledge, so-called. Magic. The black arts. Listen, folks, nothing changes. The Bible's very relevant. I know I've got to get into my material, but, you know, I remember at Biggleswade when, you know, as a fellowship we had troubles, and of course we had troubles, we had marriages break up, we had people leave, we had all the normal kind of things. We had people that seemed to go on with the Lord, wonderfully converted, and then after years, backslide nowhere, and nowhere today. And how can you understand it? We had that kind of issue. I remember something happening, and I was preaching, and I chucked away the sermon, and I preached, and I thought about this this morning, should I preach on these words? Do you know... David lost everything. He was in the wrong place. He was marching in the army against the Philistines. Uh, sorry, for the Philistines, against his own people, Israel. This is the end of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 9. He shouldn't have been there. He should not have been there. But graciously, God made sure that the, the leaders of the Philistines, the, the lords, they said, oh, we're not going to have David with us. They come off it. He, he, he's a leader of Israel. And you know, he had to, they sent him away. And they went back home. And when they got back to home, which was in the Philistine territory, and he was being, he was being guarded by a Philistine lord, he should not have been in that situation. The place was called Ziglag. And what did they find at Ziglag? Raised to the ground. And where were their children? Gone. And where were their wives? Gone. Everything gone. And they were going to stone him. His men who had been so faithful to him, they were so cross with what, where David had led them to, they were going to stone him. David sat down. These are the words. What do you do in trouble? What do you do in your personal life in trouble? What do you do in church life in trouble? Listen. David encouraged himself in the Lord. That's what you do. That's what you do as a church in trouble. You encourage yourself in the Lord. You seek the Lord. You seek the Lord. So Timothy was sent to sort out many issues, many difficulties at Ephesus. And of course, Ephesus um, was a church much blessed of the Lord. Paul spent three years there of his life. And it says in the scriptures this, that in those three years, it says that the whole of Asia, now that's not the continent of Asia today, that's the Roman providence, province of Asia, heard the word. It was a centre of terrific evangelism. Do you remember how he went into a school called of Tyrannus? He hired this school and he taught in this school. There for three years. And now we are ten years later on. Ten years later on. And in the meantime, right, of, since that church was founded, lots of things have happened. And he has sent Timothy there to help that church. Okay, so let's go into our verse then. And we're going to look at this teaching. So verse 16 of three, chapter 3. He says many things, doesn't he, about elders and about deacons and about things that have got to be sorted out. He says many things. But he says this. He says, Great indeed... We confess is the mystery of godliness. This is verse 16. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated 
by the Spirit or in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up to glory. Taken up to glory. Talking to the children about what's important, what's great. This, folks, is truly great. Now, if I had American friends here this morning, they would say it's awesome. We joke about this at home. When we have American friends, every meal is awesome. Every cake is awesome. Everything is awesome. If we take, if we take the mick out of them in a way, they use. But listen, folks. Great. This is so important. I don't know what you think is great. I know what the world think is great. They do not think this is great. But this is great. Can I remind you and take you back to Ephesus? Paul, had, after three years, had to leave Ephesus with some words ringing in his ears. Tell me those words. Perhaps you've never thought about this. What were the words, and it's connected with this, what were the words, but for two hours they shouted. And Paul wanted to go and speak to them, but they kept him away because they'd probably have killed him. But for two hours, the crowd in Ephesus, hundreds and hundreds of people shouted. What did they shout? Great is the Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians, or Artemis in some translations. That's what they shouted for two hours. That's what they thought was great. The God that was silver, idol, which they worshipped in a magnificent temple which they built, not it was 300 years before. Terrific temple. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Their religion was great. Their means of gaining a living because they were silversmiths and they made their living by selling these silver idols. Many people from all over the Roman world went to look at this building, went to worship in this temple. And for two hours, Paul heard the words ringing in his ear, Great is Diana! Great is Diana! Great is Diana! Folks, what do you think is great? It's a challenge, isn't it? This is great. Great is the mystery. Right? Great is the mystery. I'm going to speak about the mystery this morning. This is the great thing. This is what we should be concerned about. Oh, the world thinks its football is great, its sport is great, its fashion is great, its making money is great. It's not great, folks. This is great. This great secret, because that's what the, I'm going to explain that in a minute. The word mystery means a secret that's been revealed. This is the great thing. And it's Christ come in the flesh. This is the great thing. Great. But do you notice it says, we confess. It says, we confess. Great indeed, we confess. Well, some other translations have this, and they're probably a bit more accurate in this sense. They say, by common confession. This is not Paul's idea. This is not Paul's. This is... All the believers held this. You ask any believer who's great. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who's great. 
they're not a believer, they don't say that. If they're a true believer, they have one great, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was manifested in the flesh. Common confession. We confess. Do you confess that this morning? Do you confess it? Do you confess it to others? Do you confess it? Do you confess it by, now we come to the crunch. Do you confess it by your life, folks? Words are cheap in some ways. We've got a little, we've been much blessed in the last few months. We've got a, a um, oh, nameplate on our house which says, Jesus is Lord. It's easy, isn't it? Put it there. Hmm? Well, it's not so easy. But it is in a way. But what about when you have opportunities to speak to people? Do you say, Jesus is great? Jesus is great. And they look at your life and they think, yeah. Yeah, he is great. Or do they look at your life and say, he's just like me. Has the same interests as me. Walks like me. Talks like me. Dresses like me. Goes to the places I go, just like me. Well, let's get on to that. Because it is challenging. Okay, great. We confess mystery. Now, I've got a bee in my bonnet, and that is, I don't like words that are not translated. Now, by that, I mean that sometimes they make up a word and they use the same word that's in the original language. They don't translate it. So this word, mystery, is the Greek word, exactly the same, musterion, it's exactly the same word. They have transliterated um, it, they haven't translated it. Now, I'm going to say that again, because you're not understanding me. Right? I've got to understand it. Look, baptism is a word that they don't translate in our Bible. They should do. The Greek word baptism is baptism. It's just, they've just used the same letters. Why have they done that? When people do that, I think oh, there's something fishy going on here. The word bishop in, in the AV is a word which is not translated. Right? Episcopos is a Greek, is a Greek word, letter, word, and it's just copied the same letters down. Actually, in this Bible, we do translate it. We put overseer. Overseer is a translation of bishop, you see. Why am I making a point of this? I'm making a point of this because you've got to get the meaning of this word. If you don't get the meaning of this word, you won't understand what it's about. Now, sometimes the ESV, and I'm using the ESV because it's the church Bible, sometimes it does translate this word secret. Mostly it doesn't. Mostly it puts the word mystery. And people get in their mind it's mysterious. Because when we think about mystery, we think of mysterious. But look, let me illustrate this. If you turn to 1 uh, Philippians, 1 Philippians, I, 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 listen, there are about 15 references. I'm not going to do it. I haven't got time. Do it yourselves. Go through and get a concordance and look at the references to mystery and you'll see that it means a secret that's been revealed. Something that they didn't know previously, but we know now. So if you go to Philippians four and twelve he 
this is Paul, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in every, in any and every circumstance. I've learned the mystery. Ah, got it right. The secret. He didn't know before. Listen, before he was a believer and walked with the Lord, he didn't know then, but now he knows. It was a mystery once, but now he knows. Let me illustrate one more. I could, go, I could spend the whole half hour, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but look at, look at chapter 3. This is a very famous one of Ephesians. Ephesians 3, um, and just I'm going to read a few verses. This is a key passage in understanding what the word mystery means. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So it was something that was secret before, but now it's been made known, you see. Um, by he didn't know it, but now he does know it. Right. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. The, I didn't know before, but now I do, you see. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it now has been revealed to them, you see. Paul didn't know. It's not revealed fully in the Old Testament. It's there in type, it's there in prophecy, but now Paul has had a revelation and it's clear. This is what the word mystery means. This mystery, this revelation, you see, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, it wasn't known before. It wasn't... It was, it was a mystery, it was secret before, but now it's been revealed. Anyway, the challenge for you is, if you're interested in this, look at the 15 references and you'll see this word means a secret. Something they didn't know, but we know now. Now you're saying, why are you going on about this, Nigel? I tell you what, words are so important. Words are so important. So go back to your scripture. Go back to 3.16 in 1 Timothy. I'm going to press on, you see. But you look, you get the point. Great indeed, we confess, is the, I didn't know before, but now I do know, the secret, and you should be concerned with this. You should be vitally, your ears should be up now listening, because there is a secret here that's going to be told you. You didn't know, well, you do know it, you're believers. You didn't know, when you were unconverted, you didn't know about it. You didn't know the secret. You didn't know the mystery of Christ, the revelation of Christ. But now you do know. Well, great is the secret of what? Of godliness. Of godliness. Okay, what's godliness? There's a verse in Titus. That's a, another one of these letters that... Um, Paul wrote to uh, people that were helping him. Titus was like Timothy, was sent to various churches to help them in their <coughs> troubles. And there's a verse there that says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That means all kinds of men. All in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean everybody individually. It often means all sorts of. You must understand that. Money is the root of all evil, it says in the AV. Well, it doesn't, doesn't mean... It means, modern translation, money is the root of all sorts of evil. 
So he, he, right? So for the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all, um, teaching us, it says, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. These next three words are vital. And to live sensibly, it says in my translation. In this translation, it says self-controlled. In the AV, it says soberly. Then it says righteously. This translation says upright. Same idea. And then it says godly. How are we Christians to live? How are you to live, Lee? Sensibly. About yourself. You're to be sensible. You're not to be stupid. I say that, I've often been stupid. Sensible. You say, that's just not sensible. It's just not sensible. A man goes off and spends his time evangelising and leaves his wife alone with the kids. It is not sensible. I'm just giving that as an example. Are there things in your life? Sorry, don't pick on you, Lee. Are there things in, in your life? They're not sensible. Are you overcommitted? I'm not going to go, I'm not expounding this text. But look, sensible, righteously, your relationships to others. Are you upright in your relationships with one another here today? Are you upright, righteous? So you've got yourself, you've got others, and then you've got godly. Because that's what the word godliness means. Great is the secret or mystery of being a right relationship with God day by day. Godliness. Time's gone. But you know what I'd like to do now, and I challenge you to do this, is read this letter. Paul can't stop talking about it. In the New Testament, this word godly, godliness, comes up about 25 times. In this letter, out of those 25 times in the whole of the New Testament, it comes up 10 times. 10 times. Now ask yourself the question, why Paul, towards the end of your life, writing to one of your young men who you've, who you've developed, nurtured, and is now working for you, helping out other churches who are in a mess, why you keep going on about godliness? Young people, listen, this is so vital. It's not talked about. It's not talked about. Godliness, ten times. I haven't got time to do this. I would like to go through these ten, I've got them written down, these ten references. You do it. Godliness affects everything. It affects your attitude in life. Paul says it in this letter. Ladies, it affects the way you dress. Paul says it in this letter. Do you know, it's challenging godliness. How do we walk before God day by day? Godliness. I'm not, I could preach a separate sermon. I'm not doing it. I'm going to press on. So, are you interested? Am I interested in a godly living? Look, I'm not talking about having a black suit on. I'm not talking about coming to chapel. 
I'm not talking about getting up in the morning and spending an hour with the Lord in prayer and Bible reading before you come, before you go to work. These might be all very good things. In fact, I think some of them are very good things. I'm talking about your walk with the Lord day by day. Your attitude to the Lord day by day. I'm talking about the reality of your Christian life. What's the secret of it? What says whether you've got it or you haven't got it? Now we should be interested in this, surely. And now we come to the crunch. And the secret is this. The next few, few statements. The secret is Christ. Do you want to be godly? Do you want to be godly? It's Christ. He is the secret, the mystery of godliness. So, people come along today and they will tell you all other things. They will tell you the secret is experience, Nigel. Have an experience. They'll tell you the secret is doctrine. Read these books, Nigel. Be a banner of truth, man. Or whatever. Maybe good, I don't know, but it's not the secret. It's not the secret. They will say, oh, Nigel, get involved in evangelism. Spend your life on the streets evangelizing. That's the secret of godliness. They will say the secret is knowing your Bible better, Nigel. Read your Bible all the time. That's the secret. Now, the secret's Christ. The secret. All these other things might be good in their own place. I'm not because they are. The secret is Christ. Let's deal with it. Manifested in the flesh. <clears throat> Why do you think Paul says that? <clears throat> well, you've had four weeks of me dealing with he is God. He is a man. I've had that. And, and I've done all that. But the key thing is Day by day, I know how Jesus lived. He was manifested, revealed in the flesh. Now, I don't know whether this means just the beginning, <coughs> the beginning of the incarnation. I probably think, and by the way, commentators are all disagreed about the next few lines. You just have to come to your own view. I probably think with Warren Wiersbe that this refers to the whole life of Christ, manifested in the, in, in the flesh. And what did John say? The word became flesh. He said, we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. So what's the application for us this morning? You're going to live, you're going to go in the world, you're being in the world, you're getting, all the time we're in the world. And Warren Wiersbe says this, and young people, listen, don't forget this. He says, you want contact with the world, but you do not want contamination. It's terrific. Of course you want contact. How can you talk to people if you don't have contact? But you don't want to be contaminated by it. Look, what would Jesus do? That's godliness. You think about it in this week. You're going to have challenges. Think about the Lord who came from glory. What would he have done? How would he have done? How would he have acted? It's very practical, isn't it? Go on. It says vindicated by the Spirit. Some people think this refers to 
sorry. Some people think this refers to um, the, his baptism when you know the spirit descended, or it refers to the resurrection. Um, and he was vindicated, he was justified. That's what the word vindicated means. The word is actually justified in the text. means justified. Um, if I take it in its literal sense, it means vindicated. It literally means in spirit. There's no capital S there. In the, in the Greek, it's in spirit. Now, this is my idea. It's just me. I personally think that it's to do with the inner life of the Lord Jesus Christ. His inner life. You say, well, we don't read about that in the Gospels. Is that what you're thinking? What about the Psalms? The Psalms are full of the inner life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, my first point is, manifest in the flesh. You think, you're, you want to be godly? What would Jesus do? Second point is, how did Jesus think? How did Jesus feel? And the Psalms are full of it, how he felt. And how he thought. Because that's what we want. We want to be like the Saviour. We want to feel like he felt. We want to think like he felt. Do you want godliness? Think about how the Lord lived. Think about how the Lord thought and felt. It says seen by angels. It's difficult this, isn't it? That's another word, by the way, that's not translated. It's <coughs> the word angel in the Greek is angel. The word means messenger. It can mean angelic messenger, or it can mean just a, <coughs> a human messenger. Seen by angels. Well, at every important stage of the Lord's life, there were angels, weren't there? With incarnation itself, the, there were angels praising God, weren't there? Talking to the shepherds. Um, at the cross, at Gethsemane, there were angels that came and ministered to him. What about the temptations, after the temptations? Angels. Well, perhaps I'll be a bit controversial. Do you want to be godly? Do you want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's godliness, being like him. But what about angels? What about angels? Do you know about angels? Do I know about angels? They helped the Lord Jesus. They helped the Lord of glory. Okay, listen to this scripture. You're in trouble. You're on the point of going the wrong way. Doing something you know is wrong. <coughs> you shouldn't be where you are, perhaps. You shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Can I suggest you think about seen by angels? Seen by angels. And listen to this. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? That's angels. That's angels. Angels were with the Lord at vital times of his life, seen by angels. You've got to remember, we don't see the unseen world.
godliness, the work of angels. Who helped Jesus? Who ministered to Jesus? Angels. Who's going to help you? Angels. If you're desperate, if you're desperate in life, a promise is that God would send ministering angels. Now I, say, I sound like a raving charismatic this morning. Some of you are probably getting worried. The scripture speaks about ministering angels. They minister to the Lord. Okay, pro- proclaimed <coughs> among the nations. <coughs> Some people think this is a preaching of the Lord Jesus before his resurrection. Some people think it means afterwards. It definitely does mean that godliness is associated with the Lord Jesus being proclaimed amongst the nations. And that's true, isn't it? What about ourselves? Are we involved in this proclamation? Are we praying for others who are directly involved in evangelism? Are we, every time we go out, saying, Lord, if there's someone for you has got for me to speak to today, I'm taking a tract and I'm going to be ready. Do you say that? Are you involved in this proclamation amongst the nations? This is what godliness is about. Are you ready? Or is your mind preoccupied with other things? If someone actually gives you an opportunity, you're nowhere. You're not ready. Proclaimed amongst the nations. Are we involved with our friends and our colleagues and our workmates? Are we praying for opportunities? Are we doing this? Are we praying for us? Are we praying for the beach teams? Whatever it is, are we involved in this great proclamation amongst the nation that Jesus Christ is Lord and that Jesus Christ is the Saviour of men? The Gospel, in other words. Okay, believed on in the world. Believed on in the world. Godliness is associated with Christ as the object of faith. Now I know we're often full of doubts and fears. I'm going to preach tonight on that great verse and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus I'm going to tell people I'm going to tell the Christians there I'm going to tell them look there's so much in that great treasure store that you're not asking for and you're not having because you're not asking and it's there it's available for him that's what I'm going to say and yet I know my own heart I'm often the same. I'm not trusting him. I'm not walking with him day by day. I'm not relying on him. Shame on me. Believed on in the world. Godliness is associated with trusting Christ. Are you trusting Christ today? Are you trusting today? Not 20 years ago. Today. Listen, have you met him today? Before you come here. Have you spoken with him today before you come here? Or is today just going to be really like any other day, except for a bit of religion, you know, in the middle of it. It's going to be worldly just like any other day. And then look, take, taken up in glory. Taken up in glory. 
of godliness is associated with the one who is in glory now. The Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand. Who can supply, believer, all your needs. I quoted that, but not all your wants. My God shall supply all your needs. You take them. In faith, believing, because he's promised it, and he will do it. I don't know what your needs are this morning. Of course I don't. I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know whether you're really got needs I can't imagine. Take them to him. He's promised to do it. He's in glory. He's at God's right hand. <coughs> Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive help in time of need. Now, as a church, you are in great need. I know you are. Of course you are. Well, go boldly. Go boldly to the throne of grace. Go boldly and take the matter to the Lord himself. Now, here we have quite clearly to me the importance of thinking about the incarnation day by day, practically. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus think? Who helped Jesus? Are we involved in the work of proclaiming the Lord Jesus? Are we trusting him fully in our hearts? This is godliness. Where is Jesus now? Am I living in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, coming in power and glory? This is what godliness is about. I'm just finishing now and I tell you I often say to people and I talk to people and they say ah oh, look at the church oh, they killed millions of people haven't they look at their hypocrisy look at all the homosexuals in the church of England look at this look at that look at that look at you people at Potton a lot of hypocrites a lot of hypocrites and I say this is my defence my defence is this don't look at us Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. You use this defence, don't you? Folks, it's not good enough. My defence is not good enough. Because how will the world see Christ if they don't see it in you and me? The Lord Jesus taught this in John 17. I could deal with that now, but I won't do. But you know, why is Paul got a bee in his bonnet in this letter about godliness ten times you study them, why? because it's intimately connected with the Lord Jesus Christ the world sees Christ through us not what we say partly, yes but godliness how we live. We're to live sensibly. We're to live uprightly, righteously. And we're to live godly. I've finished, but I'd like to sing, but I can't. I'd like to sing that old chorus, some of the oldest.